Welcome back to Babylon 5 versus Deep Space Nine, the world's greatest podcast about the 90s space station shows. This is Bob from Cascadia. I got Matt from the Southland on the line. How you doing today, Matt? Doing pretty well. We've got to cover the entire first season of Babylon 5 today. Let me tell you, it's been a trip so far. I'm hoping to continue that trip. <laughs> <laughs> Not end up like certain characters that I know don't continue it with us, so... I'm uh, I'm gonna shoot you in the back, Matt. You've already admitted that I was right about something. I see nothing else that this podcast can accomplish, and uh, I'm gonna have to uh, just shoot you in the back before you can tell anyone uh, that I told you I was gonna shoot you in the back. Maybe Kosh has some uh, predictions for, for for what's gonna happen to me. Back shot. That's all Kosh says. So we thought we'd start with um, listing what we thought were the essential episodes for the season. And then we would move on to the sort of mid-level episodes that maybe weren't amazing, but did tell you something interesting about certain characters or about the mythos or the world of Babylon 5. And then we would, in our final category, cover um, the dumpster fire episodes, although I think there's some dispute over what the category of dumpster fire actually involves. But we'll start with the essentials. Uh, Matt, do you want to lead off by talking to us about why you think the TV movie, The Gathering, is essential? Yeah, I think The Gathering is essential because, for one, it establishes several of the characters that do appear on the regular series. And it's it's kind of a whodunit plot. It just gets you interested in the whole space station setting and introduces you to all the different races. It shows how the stations how the station operates, and it's just, it, to me it was a fun. It was just fun to watch. Uh, I enjoyed it. I think if you're going to watch Babylon Five, I think starting with either starting with the Gathering is not going to set you back at all. And we have deemed it essential because mainly because Bob told me I didn't need to watch it, and I just wanted to prove him wrong. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, still insist that I am not owned and I have not been proven wrong. And I do think The Gathering has a bit more of a worse reputation than it deserves, but I I don't think it's very good. I think it's needlessly long. I, I actually don't think the construction of the mystery is that well done. And although it does introduce you to um, Sinclair and Garibaldi pretty well, it and it introduces you to the ambassadors pretty well and the major powers. On the other hand, it does. there are a lot of characters it doesn't introduce you to, and because of that, I think Midnight on the Firing Line does very similar work, and I think, uh, frankly, it does it a lot more econ- economically and a lot more efficiently, and so I would still say you don't actually need to watch The Gathering, and maybe you shouldn't watch The Gathering, although it did... It was really interesting to me how you seem to respond to The Gathering more than Midnight on the Firing Line, which is the second uh, episode in our Essentials list. Yeah, we're, we're kind of, uh, we have very varying opinions here, but The Gathering is what got me hooked on this show. So uh, what I'm saying is if you watch The Gathering and you enjoyed it, chances are you're going to like the rest of the, of Season 1. I'm I'm deeming The Gathering essential. Bob, what, what, what are you putting it in? Uh, I would put it on mid-level tier, I think. Uh, like... It, interesting if you like kind of want a deep dive but not essential and I, I think the other thing that i just to go ahead and say why i think midnight on the firing line is essential since that's our second one i think it's essential because it does a really good job of establishing the stakes of the jakar and malari rivalry and you know by proxy the narn and centauri rivalry which as we kind of saw in the season one finale is going to be an important thing 
uh, traveling ahead. So I, that's why I think Midnight on the Firing Line is an essential and a, a better starting place than The Gathering. Just to, re- just to recap real quick, TV movie, Matt says it's essential, Bob says it's not. Season 1, Episode 1, Midnight on the Firing Line... Both of us agree it's definitely essential, and that's kind of a duh. I mean, you, you've got to watch the first episode of the show. Yeah, yeah. And then so the next essential episode we've got in the list is uh, Mind War. Why did you think this one was essential, Matt? Mind War. Mind War is essential because it introduces us to the Psychops. I think the Psychops are probably going to play a pretty big piece in uh, Babylon 5. It seems like telepaths are a lot more uh, essential to the Babylon 5 universe. And this is a pretty big introduction to to those characters and how they work. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to miss Mind War if I was if I was going to rewatch the season one. Yeah, I definitely think Mind War is one of my favorite episodes of the season. I think it's important for establishing uh, what's up with the Psycor and the Psychops. Uh, it establishes Bester as a character and gives him a pretty vengeful motivation against the crew of Babylon Five from the death of his partner. Um, which I thought was handled really well. Um, I would also say on the sort of mid-level, the Walker of Sigma 957 that we sort of see in Mind War, the uh, very advanced interstellar entity that Catherine Sakai encounters and that um, Jakar sends out a Naran ship to save her from, while that specific entity is not very essential to the plot of future Babylon 5 seasons, in general, that sort of type of being does a lot to establish the universe of Babylon 5. And so I think even I think that makes it a kind of interesting and essential episode in its own right. So the next one we went with for essential episodes uh, was The Sky Full of Stars. Why did you think that one was essential, Matt? Yeah, and the sky full of stars is essential because it tells you about Commander Sinclair and what happened to him during the uh, Earth Minbar War. We know that he went through some kind of interrogation by the uh, Minbari. Yeah, torture too. Torture. Uh, it, it tells you what happened during the Battle of the Line. Just huge developments there that have to be. Uh, you have to understand if you want to understand the character of Sinclair. So I felt that was probably going. That's going to be essential. Yeah, I was a little more begrudging about this. I, I, I think I agree with you that it is essential, but I was a little more begrudging just because I I feel like the Battle of the Line gets tread in a lot of the episodes of the first season. And also just, we'll talk about this in a minute, but the Sky Full of Stars structure is a fairly like repetitive structure of there's an inquisition against, a, uh, against the station or a staff member. And so in that sense, I... It, not my favorite episode by far, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Just for what it says about um, Sinclair and the Battle of the Line and the Minbari, it's probably an essential episode. All right, up next, we've got Signs Importance, which uh, is a very important episode because it discusses, uh, it introduces the character of Morden, who we hadn't seen up until this point. He's the uh, mysterious man who visits and causes havoc. He just asks a, he asks a simple question, what do you want? And if you give him an answer that he agrees with, he'll give it to you. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's no coincidence that the name of this episode is also the name of the season. Right. It really snaps everything into focus. Um, it's a great example of how uh, JMS uses Morden to sort of bring into focus things about each of the ambassadors' characters that I really appreciated. So, yeah, no, no question that signs importance belongs on the list. And then, Matt, why did you want uh, Babylon Squared on the list? Uh, Babylon Squared, you find out what happened to Babylon 4. 
it also establishes something that's going to happen in the future, apparently, or in future seasons. I don't know yet because I haven't I haven't seen it, but I'm just telling you that it's it's going to be an important episode because it leaves you just asking more questions than it answers. You also learn about the Grey Council from this episode. Delenn was selected to be like the new leader of the Grey Council, but turned it down. There's so much involved with Babylon Square that it's just you have to watch it. You can't skip over that one. Yeah, and we we did get some sense of the Grey Council from Sky Full of Stars, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. But yeah, Babylon Square does a lot more in that regard. And then I put in, I said we should put in Legacies, um, the penultimate episode of the season, for similar reasons about the way in which it develops Minbari culture and kind of develops some of Delenn's future political struggles within Bari uh, political structure. Also, I think it does kind of is a good way to touch on like Sinclair's role in the Battle of the Line and his role in the Earth Minbar War. But I, I can see where this is kind of an edge case about whether or not this is truly an essential episode. Right. I disagree with Bob on this one. I don't really think Legacies is essential to each his own. I mean, there are, there are, there's some good character development there. And I mean, maybe further down the road, I'll be like, oh yeah, Legacies was a great episode and really should have been there because like, it points something out. But I, I didn't see anything from it at this point. And then, yeah, and then obviously the season finale, Chrysalis, needs to be on the list. Um, oh, yeah, Chrysalis probably, has to be. Yeah, but if you were only to watch one episode of the season, it would be Signs Importance. But if you were to only watch two, it would be Signs Importance and Chrysalis, probably. So to recap, we're telling you what's essential. Matt believes the gathering is essential. Bob does not. Both of us agree that Midnight on the Firing Line, Mind War, Sky Full of Stars, Signs Importance... Babylon Squared are all essential. We were divided on Legacies. Still a great episode. And then uh, Chrysalis is a definite essential episode. And then so our second level is sort of the mid-level where it's a place for episodes that do some development for the characters or the cultures or the mythos of uh, Babylon 5. Although there's, I think, even more controversy here. But the uh, first episode we put on this uh, list was Soul Hunter. Do you want to say anything about Soul Hunter, Matt? Uh, Soul Hunter introduces us to this race of beings that collect souls. And I know that souls are important to like all the different races on the station. I think the, the Soul Hunter character to me was just really cool. Like, I just like the idea that this guy just comes around and he just like takes their souls and like hangs out. And is like waiting for people to die. That grim reaper kind of aspect to him. Uh, I enjoyed the episode, and I think that uh, you learn a lot more about uh, the Mimbari here in this one. Matt, uh, you know the guy who's the lead, he's the president in the West Wing? Yes. What's his name, Martin Sheen? Yes, that's correct. How would you feel if Martin Sheen was a soul hunter? I mean, I guess it'd be okay. I don't... (laughs) Oh, well, you'll you'll get to reevaluate that verdict in the future. Oh, so the Soul um, Hunter's return is what you're saying. Yes, yes. And one is and played Martin by Martin Sheen. Sheen. Is a Soul Hunter, yes. All right, <laughs> of, then. Of, of all people. So, Sorry for the spoilers. Well, I'm glad um, I've learned about Soul Hunter. <laughs> I don't know. I think you're exactly right that this episode does kind of set up, like, the importance of the concept of souls for this, uh, for this show, which, while not like a major theme, is something that will come up a lot it'll come up a little in the uh i think the comic we're going to look at for next week 
or two weeks from now if you're listening, and I think it'll come up uh, periodically through the rest of the show. The Soul Hunters themselves are not that important, but they do show up in a late TV movie. Um, so, yeah, it's I, I don't I'm not actually that fond of this episode, but it, it I, I can see the case for putting it mid level. And then the next one we have is Born to the Purple, which has its charms and also has its silly bits. But I, I would argue that it belongs in the mid level, both because it's our first in-depth look at Centauri culture and Londo's sort of dissatisfaction and angst in Centauri culture. And then we also get a little bit of development about uh, Ivanova and her relationship with her uh, dying father, which will come back later in the season. So that's why I would say you should put Born to the Purple at the mid-level. Yeah, Born to the Purple is all about Centauri culture. That's the reason I felt it should be on the le- in this level. Um, Deathwalker right. is our next episode. I, I think Deathwalker should be in the mid-level because it just shows how badass Kosh is uh, how the, with how the episode ends and tells you what kind of power he has. Yeah, I would almost I would almost want to put Deathwalker in the essential. I don't think it really is, but I think if there was any episode of the mid-levels that I wanted to promote, probably it would be Deathwalker. And it does, like you say, it really kind of ups the stakes on the Vorlons. It also gives us a kind of good sense of the League of Non-Aligned Worlds, which doesn't matter so much in the first couple of seasons of Babylon 5, but will be important later. Um, it's also about the closest we get to a spotlight episode on Natoth, which is nice because uh, she's a criminally underused character. So yeah, I think uh, Deathwalker is a, a pretty good episode for all those reasons. Survivors is basically is our next episode. It's basically a video game plot, but it does introduce us to Garibaldi's alcoholism and uh, it gives us kind of a, a it, it's a very Garibaldi centered episode. So that's why I think it should be in the middle. Yeah, it also has the kind of role in driving forward the sort of season-long conspiracy to assassinate President uh, Santiago and install President Clark, which, you know, we see like a first attempt that fails here. Yeah, and not not necessarily my favorite, but like you say, probably pretty essential for introducing um, Garibaldi's backstory as kind of like the troubled alcoholic loner cop. So, yeah, it probably belongs in the mid-level. Next episode is by any means necessary, and this one was uh, Bob's Wet Dream. Yeah, yeah, it's a great episode, right? Uh, it's uh, it's one of the best episodes to deal with uh, labor union politics and strategy in any show. Uh, you know, like I said, I think the only sh- the only show that comes to mind that does it better is Snowpiercer. Um, maybe The Wire season two as well, but I, I really enjoyed By Any Means Necessary. It's not super um, relevant to the ongoing plot of uh, Babylon 5, but I just think it's a great episode. And um, it does kind of flesh out the world, flesh out like the kind of economic inequalities on Babylon 5, which is a reoccurring touch piece for the show. So that's why I think it belongs at the mid-level. We have Eyes, which uh, is an interesting episode because it, it deals with Ivanova's issues with telepaths kind of establishes a lot of that and also it's very sinclair heavy he gets into his uh why he does the things he does yeah when you point out that thing about this really kind of uh centering ivanova's discomfort with uh telepaths that that does make a pretty strong case for it at the mid-level i i'm not a big fan of this episode i think partially because of the really stupid subplot about lanier uh building garibaldi's kawasaki ninja motorcycle but also just because it feels so kind of repetitive of the formula of the show where mysterious forces come to the station to investigate Sinclair. But that said, yeah, it probably belongs on the mid-level. 
I think it should be in the mid-level just because Lanier builds a motorcycle in this episode. All right, we're ending the podcast. Okay. <laughs> All right, next we've got Quality of Mercy. It's an episode that's it's like the only Dr. Franklin-centered episode that I think we experience. And uh, I think you're forgetting a very important episode, man. Oh, and oh, and the other and the dumpster fire episode. But <laughs> yes, Quality of Mercy yes. is the only okay episode <laughs> that kind of expands on Dr. Franklin. If so, if you're going to get some character development out of Dr. Franklin, Quality of Mercy is probably the the only piece you really need to watch. It also does some good stuff about establishing like life on the Babylon 5 station. It gives us probably our most in-depth look at the Babylon 5 judicial system. It gives us more time in Down Below, which hasn't been a big uh, big focus of Season 1. And then the sort of deus ex machina miracle device um, introduced in Quality of Mercy. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a major plot device uh, for the show, but it is something that the show will come back to several times. So those are the episodes we think that, you know, offer a lot of development for the characters and the mythos. So if you're going to, if you're trying to watch it to get to understand the characters a little better, you're going to want to watch the essentials and then watch these episodes. And I'm going to go over those real quick. It was Soul Hunter, Born to the Purple, Death Walker, Survivors, By Any Means Necessary, Eyes, and Quality of Mercy. All right, now we get to the fun part, the dumpster fire. These are the episodes you should avoid at all costs they're 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 harmful to your eyes it's just that's entirely too strong oh they're awful they're awful not all of them are awful they're yes they are every one of these is awful Uh, with the exception of the first the first one we're going to talk about hold on the first we're going to talk about dreams and war prayer aren't awful they're not like they're 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 not not great They're, they're not that great all right, so let's start. So you you were envisioning this as just bad episodes. No, I'm envisioning I, this as either like, either bad episodes or episodes that just aren't very necessary for like the ongoing plot of the show. Well, there's no plot development in any of these episodes, and then a lot of them are just terrible. So I'll tell you what: as we go through them, I'll tell you the ones that are okay to watch, which you've pretty much already done. But there there are some that you just should not watch. Period. You agree with that, right? So there's the bottom of the dumpster and there's the top of the dumpster. <laughs> I mean, the only the only episode that I would say affirmatively that no one should watch under any circumstances is Believers. Uh, you shouldn't watch TKO either. All right, let, let's just it let's just go through that bad. Let's go through them and talk about it, and then we'll, we'll we'll iron this out. All right, let's start with Infection. I loved Infection the first time I watched it. I thought it was great, but then I watched the rest of Babylon. I watched the rest of the season. And I, when I went back to it, I'm like, this is really not that great of an episode. It's kind of cheesy. Uh, what do you think? Um, I think Infection is a really good episode. I partially, I like it the best, I think, out of this kind of formula of like something mysterious comes to the station or um, how, did, how did I phrase it later down? Something uh, strange intruder disrupts life on the station plot. I think Infection is about the best or one of the best of those. But I also think it does some interesting stuff in establishing like the growing role of xenophobia in the Earth Alliance. And it also kind of establishes that there's these sinister corporate forces, specifically the corporations that our uh, kind of villainous character is working for. That's David McCollum is the actor who's an actor I really like. So I was glad to see him and the villainous corporations he's working for trying to find alien technology, the growing sentiment of anti uh, alien xenophobia in the earth Alliance. 
all of that, I think, is like not really essential for the ongoing Babylon 5 uh, plot, but pretty important. And I would argue that infection belongs in the mid-level. All right, I'm saying it's still dumpster fire. I think it's like, what if there was a monster on your space station? Moving on. Parliament of Dreams. What are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think Parliament of Dreams is a great episode by any means, but like... Um, it introduces uh, Catherine Sakai, uh, Sinclair's later fiance. It it is an interesting Jakar plot where he's you know uh, he has a guy who's threatening to assassinate him. It's by no means essential, but I think it's perfectly harmless and actually a, quite a bit better than just the word harmless would imply. So okay, well not essential, definitely not a dumpster fire. Okay, I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. Let's move Parliament of Dreams to the middle. Okay, because not, now now that yeah. Yeah, let's move Parliament of Dreams to the middle. All right, War Prayer. Um, War Prayer is not as good as Parliament of Dreams, and it's it's got its weak spots. The some of the stuff about like uh, Malari angsting about like his you know aging in Centauri culture is not great. The kind of Romeo and Juliet Centauri plot of War Prayer is not great, but it it also does some interesting work in establishing the growing xenophobia among the Earth Alliance. That some of that will pay off in season two and season three in interesting ways. And again, not quality episode, but I, I don't think bad by any means. War Prayer was okay. I mean, the Romeo and Juliet plot, the whole thing that went along with that, and anything that came out of Malari's mouth in the episode was just cheesy. All right, I'll get, I'm giving in. Move War Prayer as well. We'll move Parliament of Dreams and War Prayer. But I, Infection, I is, though, infection that... is staying in the dumpster. <laughs> That's the one I most wanted to move. No. I, will get, I will concede, though, that uh, War Prayer is the worst episode featuring Malari, who is one of the best characters on the show, and so that's a sort of weird distinction to have. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like he, he doesn't sound like himself in this episode. Like he was, like he was written incorrectly. Oh, I, think, I don't know that it's necessarily that it's out of character. I just think it's like kind of bad and cheesy. Like there is a sort of like melancholy and a self-pity to Malari's character as we go on that I, I don't think it's out of character I just I just really dislike the writing I think it's kind of cliched okay so tell me this would does the other part of the plot make it okay to keep it in the dumpster fire or do we need to move it uh I I would move it to the mid-level I guess although I would ra I would rather see infection moved than ah I just don't want to move infection I just don't think it's as good as you remember it you, you draw, draw, draw your line. Draw your line. <laughs> Move Parliament of Dreams and War Prayer, and we'll. we'll All right. Infection is. And staying. then, so finally, we we uh, arrive on the one that I feel confident definitely belongs in the dumpster fire. Uh, that's believers. That is uh, the really ham-fisted allegory about how you apparently should uh, let um, you know religions uh, practice uh, human sacrifice or I guess person sacrifice. Um, I just an awful episode, a really, really forced medical dilemma. There's some things that are interesting about it. I like how politicking Sinclair is in it. He's much less morally concerned than a Star Trek captain would be. He's just politicking, and that's interesting. I do sort of like how the, the awful religious parents go around and plead to each of the ambassadors and get shot down in different ways. That's pretty entertaining, but on the whole, a really bad episode. Also, it's okay, apparently, to sacrifice children on Babylon 5 and not have any, no, nothing will happen to you, no repercussions. So, yep, yep, just, just awful, awful. B Believers is, is, is trash. It's at the bottom of the dumpster. The rats are chewing at it. Yeah, unless I'm forgetting something, worst episode of the entire show. Yeah, it's, it's awful. 
Alright, next we have Grail. Yeah, Grail's not amazing. Uh, you, you could argue it actually does some important stuff for the rest of the show, because, dear lord, does Babylon 5 love drawing connections to Arthurian myth? And so Grail is a big part of drawing connections and to Arthurian myth. that is why myth. it's in the dumpster. Yep, yep. Oh, man, there's a couple more episodes you're going to hate. Oh, I'm so excited. Yay. Yep, yep. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Grail's staying <laughs> in the dumpster. Grail is not moving. Yeah, I did. I did enjoy the uh, the subplot with William Sanderson from Deadwood playing a gangster and using uh, that. I think was it was it called the Nakataline to uh, mind wipe his uh, his opponents. I thought that was pretty fun. Even David Warner playing the guy who was questing after the Holy Grail, like he he did his he did a very good job playing a very dumb role. I'll give him that. I mean, the only thing I remember liking about the episode was the the encounter suit being taken over, and then you thinking it, me thinking it was Kosh. But when I went back and re-listened to like our actual podcast episode, and then I thought that really wasn't that great. Like, I don't know why that. I thought that. So I'm, 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 Grail can stay in the dumpster fire, but it's towards yeah, the top I, of the dumpster. I, yeah, I would say that Grail is still. It, it if you're a completionist like I am, like Grail will not be a challenge to get through. I mean, it's not great, but it's not a challenge to get through. Uh, Voice in the Wilderness, Part One and Two. Ugh. So, on the one hand, not great. Um, it does set up something major for the mythos, although it turn, that, that major thing turns out to not matter too much for the mythos. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I will say, like, I didn't absolutely hate these episodes, um, especially I thought part two kind of did some interesting stuff that was, you know, not too bad, not too bad. But that said, it's definitely fairly inessential, even with the sort of important thing it sets up about the great machine and uh, easily something that could be skipped. I'm not. I'm not very upset that it's in the uh, dumpster. Yeah, voice in the wilderness is, is not fun. Uh, I didn't even enjoy recording the podcast. I thought that it was just not a fun episode to talk about. There was just uh, didn't like it. All right, final episode in the dumpster fire is TKO, and it needs to be there because it's about alien boxing. I'm not arguing that it's a good episode. I just. Your hatred for it kind of uh, just, I, I just don't feel your hatred for it. Like, I can admit that it's not good. I it just, is such crap. It, doesn't, like it. <laughs> it just doesn't bother me that much. Like, like if you were talking about, like, if you were to make a, a list, like, ranking all Babylon 5 and, like, all, like, all, like, 90s Star Trek, um, like, Tikio wouldn't even be near the bottom of that list. Like, there's so... Like Star Trek has done so many things that are so much worse than yeah, TKO. Like, agree believers with that. would be down there, but like TKO just doesn't offend me. Like it's a it's a mediocre to bad episode of a sci-fi when show. When it comes to season one epi- when it comes to season one of Babylon Five, TKO is not the worst. Believers is the worst. It's TKO is the second worst. Do you agree with that? Um, yeah, I agree with that, but I just think there's a wide gulf between believers and TKO. Yeah. All right, so these are the episodes that we are telling you to just avoid want to feel bad about yourself afterwards infection believers grail a voice in the wilderness and tko yeah but i i really only feel that strongly about believers the others i just don't i just don't have the conviction of your righteous fire yeah i'm just telling you that if you can avoid those episodes you'll be fine bob convinced me we need to move parliament of dreams and war prayer to the middle category where it's there's lots of character development but those episodes are not essential 
Okay, so the next question I wanted to ask is, we get a lot of, uh, of episodes that you could loosely describe as strange intruder disrupts life on the station. Which one did you enjoy the most and the least? The episodes I thought that fit this were Soul Hunter, Infection, Death Walker, Signs Importance, and Grail. Okay, Soul Hunter was definitely my favorite, just because I like the character of the Soul Hunter. It was just weird. Infection, which I've already kind of explained, was probably my least after seeing the rest of the season and everything else that's happened. Yeah, I, I'm shocked that Soul Hunter is your favorite, even more than I'm annoyed <laughs> that you dislike Infection now. I'm just, I'm just, I'm speechless. Um, yeah, yeah I, I'm telling you, I, I, I liked, after watching the whole season, When I mean, when you watch a whole season of a show, you kind of can see where things yeah, line yeah, up, and I yeah. just feel like Soul Hunter was probably my favorite of, the, of these episodes as far as an intruder disrupting life on the station. And I mean, I know you're probably going to say, you're going with what, signs and importance? Are you still like... Well, I think if you were going to speak about like objective quality and objective importance, obviously signs importance wins. And then after that, you would probably have to go Death Walker. But I, I, I did just want to put in a plug for Infection, which I, I, I can't argue is a better episode necessarily than Death Walker or signs importance. But I do think is good. I do think sets up stuff later in the series a bit of if a bit obliquely and i really like david mccollum he's one of the leads on sapphire and steel which is one of my favorite british shows and so i was just very happy to see him i would i would put soul hunter at the bottom and the only thing i would put below soul hunter soul hunter is grail <laughs> well there you have it bob and i are in opposing sides here when it comes to this question are we going to have a lot more intruder disrupting life on the station plots as we go through the rest of the seasons? Or is, is that like a reoccurring thing where somebody shows up and screws I mean, around? Just because of the nature of, you know, it's a space station, that's always sort of there. But I feel like it drops off a lot. Although I tell you, like, I've seen season one three times through now. And so I season one sticks in my mind a lot more than any any of the rest of the show. I've only seen the rest of the show like one time through so far mm -hmm. and i watched a lot of it like especially seasons two three and four i just kind of you know just kind of mainlined like watching like one or two a night so i it, the rest of it kind of blurs together to me to be honest even though like two three and four unquestionably uh, better seasons of television than season one because i've watched season one so many times and spaced it out more it sticks out to me more yeah, and I, I feel like Deep Space Nine was the same way. We had a lot more of the, you know, somebody shows up on the station causing chaos the first season, whereas with the second season, we've seen a lot less of that. So Yeah, and once you get that kind of the reoccurring plots about, like, Bajoran politics or mm -hmm. the Dominion showing up or the Shadows showing up or, like, Earth conspiracy plots, like, that dampens the need for the stranger or strange intruder showing up. So the next category I wanted to ask you about was we also got what I called inquisitorial plots against the station or a staff member, which did you enjoy the most or the least? And I felt like you could put Mind War, Sky Full of Stars, Survivors, maybe even by any means necessary, and also Eyes in this category. I went with Mind War. I just really liked the episode and the introduction of the Psychops. And as far as yeah. the least... Uh, Definitely Survivors, because like I've said before, it's just a video game plot, and it's very... <laughs> if it wasn't for them doing the Garibaldi alcoholism thing, it probably would have been in our dumpster fire. Yeah, yeah. I Since I picked, like, Mind War and Science Importance as my favorite episodes of the season, I kind of wanted to give a shout-out to, you know, something else for these sort of more specific ones. 
So, you know, I kind of picked Infection for um, Strange Intruder. And here, I think I might just go with Skyfall of Stars just to have some variation. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Skyfall of Stars, but I think it, it, it does a lot of interesting stuff. And I was the most meh on Eyes, I thought. even I, I think I appreciated Survivors even a little more than Eyes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I liked Eyes more than you did. I, uh, I think if... I think if we hadn't had so many examples of this plot, I would have liked Eyes a lot more. There was a lot to like about Eyes. Like, uh, Jeffrey Combs is great. The guy who was playing the sort of uh, overzealous uh, Zionist uh, Inquisitor, he was good. It was just, you know, it just it just felt like too, re- too repetitious after this long stretch of Inquisition episodes and after having seen the season three times. All right, so overall, what would you say your favorite episode of the show was, or the season a favorite episode was Babylon squared. I just, any, the, the time jumping piece, the time travel type stuff going on, uh, or time stopping, I guess, really. Did you ever watch lost Matt? No, I didn't, but I mean, I probably would. I just heard I've, it's got such bad reviews though. As far as like the last couple seasons go, I don't want to be disappointed. But. <laughs> what some people say whose opinions I trust is that if you watch it to be a show about the characters and not a show about the plot, you will enjoy it. Mm. And then other people whose opinions I trust just say it's uh, it's dog shit and to avoid it at all cost. So I don't I don't I don't know. I just say because I I haven't watched much Lost, but I I get a little bit of Lost vibes from Babylon Squared now that I think about it. It was just like a big puzzle to try to figure out what was going on, and I I enjoy shows like that. You know, where you're having to Mm kind of keep up, and every scene kind of plays out in a way that may be another part of the puzzle. And that, that puzzle effect will uh, kind of return when we go back to Babylon 4, I think. Okay. All right, what about uh, you? What was your favorite episode? Like I was saying, kind of uh, probably Signs Importance if I had to pick, but my I really like Mind War. I really like Bester and his partner, so I, I was very fond of both of those. How about your least favorite? Oh, least favorite is 100 per times Believers. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I think the only gap is that you think TKO is just right above Believers, and I think there's a significant gap uh, <laughs> between TKO and Believers. Yeah, you're trying to like shove next generation episodes up in between it. I'm, I'm just like saying in this season, Believers is the worst. TKO is is the second worst. All right, and so now we wanted to kind of do a rundown and check in where Matt was with all of the different characters as we uh, finished up season one. So, uh, Matt, what were your thoughts on Sinclair, since this is the bulk of the Sinclair stuff? There's not too much more. So, we have Commander Jeffrey Sinclair. He was assigned to Babylon 5. He was not the number one pick to be on the station. He was, like, number 20-something. But apparently, the Mimbari had some pull in that, so that's why he's there. Is a bit of a hothead. Did you think that did you think that cooled down by the end of the season or did you still see it cropping up? I felt like it still cropped up and I feel like everyone was kind of aware of it, so they tried to make sure that he didn't, you know I, I think part of it is that this is what I'm gonna get to, that he he was we know from different episodes that he was in the Earthmen Bar War. He fought uh he fought in the final battle. He actually survived and was uh tortured and interrogated. Something happened at that point that stopped the battle from continuing and ended the war. Uh, I think he has... Well, we already know what stopped it, right? At least part of it. Yeah, we know part of it, yeah. 
but yeah, he, like the great the great council ordered it. Uh, specifically, the religious members of the great council ordered it. To yeah, stop. they ordered it, but we don't know why though. Why they said, yeah, you know, yeah. why we had to stop it. But so, we will learn in next week's comic. Oh boy. Hey. So, with him, I'm just kind of like, I think he has like some guilt because he survived, <laughs> and that's why he's like okay to just jump into the fray of things and get himself killed yeah he's got a death wish yeah he does he has a death wish and i think that's part of it uh we find out that you know now he is engaged to uh catherine sakai i mean that's that's really everything he there's some connection between him and delenn they may be married we i don't know that part yet uh we do know we'll see him later on in the future because he was on babylon 4 mm-hmm. so you see what I'm saying? Like, I think that's everything. I don't leave anything out. Where are you getting the sense that he might be married to Delenn from? Remember in uh, Parliament of Dreams when they had the little ceremony and Delenn says something like, oh, yeah. now it Depending begins. Depending on how seriously people took it, they might be married. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. She okay. says, now it begins. And she's got this, like, she wanted to talk to Sinclair about everything right before the end of Chrysalis, but he didn't get he didn't get to her in time before she went in the cocoon. So mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, so that's that Sinclair. It's kind of a lost connection. Yeah. Yeah. I- am I missing anything with Sinclair? No, I think you got it. I think you got it. I did kind of want to ask, um, where would you put uh, Sinclair in your kind of ranking? Since, you know, part of the point of the podcast is to compare this to Star Trek. Like, where would you put him in the pantheon of like Star Trek uh, captains? Like, would you put him near the top, near the bottom? I mean, we can. We can run through the quick list of Star Trek captains if we need to, but I'm well, just saying. I'd put him near the probably near the bottom. He wouldn't be towards the. He might maybe close, not the very bottom, probably closer to the middle, like you know, between the very bottom and the middle. <laughs> if that makes sense. So for you, for you, you're saying you like him more than like I think on your list you put him like you like him more than like Pike uh, from Discovery and the original pilot, more than Lorca from Discovery, and more than Archer from Enterprise. Yes. If I were going to put him somewhere, I'd put him somewhere after. All right. Here, here's here's my list. I'd have Cisco, number one, Picard, number two, Riker, number three, Kirk, number four, Janeway, number five, Sinclair, number six, Pike, number seven, Lorca, number eight, Archer, number nine. Where would you uh, put Saru and uh, Freeman from Lower Decks? On oh, Saru. Let's see. Uh, I forgot about Saru. I'd probably put Saru immediately after, above Pike, but before Sinclair. Okay. And then wh- where would you put uh, Captain Freeman from Lower Decks? Okay, I'm going to be honest. I don't really like, I, I, I don't really would rank her. I don't. <laughs> oh, oh, cartoons don't count? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I just don't. No, I'm not. I, I mean, I, okay, you know what? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yes. It, yes. I, I, I don't know. I don't really care where she'd be. She'd be on there somewhere. She's a okay. No, that's fair. I, I did want to ask one more question about that. Um, so why, why, why are you so down on Pike? Like, I mean, I get it if you're just going off like the cage Pike, because Pike in the cage is kind of an asshole. But I thought Ansem Mount in Disco Season Two was like a revelation as Pike. Like, it's one of the best things Discovery has done. And I'm, you know, not to hate on Discovery. I think it's a, a very interesting show in a lot of ways. But I'm really stoked to see Pike in command for Strange New Worlds. I don't know. I, I liked, I, I enjoyed Pike, but I mean, when you're looking at the people I'm comparing it to, I just like, it, this is like a Mount Rushmore type thing. Okay. 
being like number what is that number seven is not that bad in my, yeah. in my but he's like for me he's like number three like i oh. would only put him after like cisco and yeah. janeway like I, I i like him more than picard or kirk damn well see i, I can't I, I just don't agree with that He's okay. I mean, like, yeah. and I would put yeah, Saru over because I enjoyed Saru. Like, I enjoyed Saru as captain and Linda. I like Saru, but I didn't really, I, I wasn't very satisfied with how they used him as captain or how they yeah. used him in season three. But, but Saru's I mean, a fun character. But we can both totally agree Archer's the worst, so let's just leave it at that. Oh, yeah. And I, I'll just say, like, I would actually put Sinclair near the bottom. And I kind of feel bad about that because I actually do like Sinclair quite a bit. But um, e- even, like, I, I would put, like, some of my like Kirk and Saru, I think were some of my less favorite or least favorite Star Trek captains. And I would still put Sinclair quite a bit below them, but I would still say that there's a vast chasm of quality that Archer could never hope to bridge in between Sinclair and Archer. Sinclair is so much uh, better of a character and much more interesting and has much more depth than Archer, whom I just can't stand. All right. The next character I want to talk about though is Ivanova. And, you know, I've had a big thing with Ivanova. Ivanova the traitor. traitor. Yeah. Ivanova the spy. Ivanova the deceiver. Yeah. But I'm just going to tell you what I know for sure about her at this point, just in case I've left something off before we move into season two. All right. I know that Ivanova is a non... Is she a practicing Orthodox Jew or a non-practicing? I, I don't remember which one. Uh, she seems to be fairly non-practicing, like given the, you know, given the links that her uh, rabbis slash adopted uncle had to go to get her to sit Shiva for her father. So I, I don't think it would be fair to characterize her as practicing. So Ivanova is non-practicing Orthodox Jew. She's Russian. Uh, oh yeah, she, she definitely is. Cause she specifically says to a rabbi that she, she isn't keeping kosher. I think she pretty specifically says that in that, in that episode where she, she sits Shiva for her father. Uh, she doesn't like to wake up in the morning. She really doesn't like to get up in the morning. Yeah, she hates that. Uh, she, her father, at first, she believed that her father did not want her to be a part of Earth Force. But then we find out later that he was proud of her for what she'd done. Her father does die in this season. Why she wanted to go into Earth Force so bad? I think they say this. Her brother, already, her, maybe, her brother, yeah, something, yeah. something with her brother died or something yeah, during one of the wars. Yeah. Okay, so when her brother her brother died, and that was kind of her inspiration for joining Earth Force. Yep. Her mother was a telepath. Her mother died uh, due to some of the intensive, like I guess, the training or keeping her locked away. Uh, or her mother, I'm sorry, her mother didn't want to join the Psy Corps. Is that isn't that what it was? Yep. Her yeah, mom it's didn't... her mother. Her mother. Her mother hid herself from the Psychor, but was finally found out. I think when she, I think Ivanova says her mother was in her thirties and was, um, yeah, already had her and her older brother as kids, and so she took the drugs that are supposed to suppress telepathic um, abilities, but apparently those have pretty severe uh, side effects of like intensifying depression and drove and, her insane or something like that. Yeah. I, I think it eventually drove her to kill herself. And I think Ivanova found her, although maybe, maybe they, maybe they didn't say that. Maybe I just made that up, but yeah, okay. like, like basically I think she made it for about 10 years or so on the drugs and then she killed herself. If I don't remember. So right. bec- because of her mother's death and the, her mother was a telepath, Ivanova does not has a dislike for telepaths, which is why she, tries to stay clear of them and uh isn't too keen on emphasize that it's like it's also that she has very intimate mother or very very intimate memories of her mother's mind touching hers 
And so she feels like when that happens with any other telepath, it kind of tarnishes that experience she had with her mother. So she doesn't want that disturbed. Okay. Yeah. And then other than that, I don't think there's anything else that I have left out. So is that Ivanova pretty much uh, summed you know, up? She's a really good officer. I mean, that's said several times. Um, you know, I, I think Sinclair has several times alluded towards Ivanova having a career, you know, having a bright future in the force, you know. She also has a really strong sense of personal honor. I mean, she really dislikes the, you know, any any implication that would cast out on her loyalty. You know, she's quite a, she's quite an amusing pessimist. And she also has kind of an ego too, because she like claims that that one point that she's like Ivanova's god. <laughs> yeah, but I think that more just kind of points to the you know she she's very much wrapped up in her identity as a member of the Earth Force. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think part of that is more just like her frustration and annoyance with civilians not listening to her. And, yeah, you know, she sort of seems to have like a kind of supervisory role where like, you know, it's kind of her job to like greet and sort of like mediate among and negotiate among all the people arriving at the station. I don't know. I'm I'm actually very fond of Ivanova. I can't. Now that you're putting me on the spot like this, I can't put my finger on what it is I like about her so much, but I just find her to be a fairly like developed and rounded character in interesting ways. All right, Garibaldi, Garibaldi's next. Garibaldi is the head of security on the station. Some people call him low-budget Bruce Willis. Yes, low-budget Bruce Willis. He originally was on the Mars colony. He did security there. He decided to follow Sinclair to Babylon 5. He's battled alcoholism his yeah, whole life. He's also worked at a bunch of other posts. Like I think, I think that one uh, where he worked with Leanna's father was one of the Jupiter moons, maybe. So because of his alcoholism and his sort of you know gruff demeanor, he's bounced around to a bunch of different posts before. So coming to al- alcoholism gives him some uh, get, gets him in trouble. Let's put it that way. He does. Ha- he had a girlfriend on Mars whose name has escaped me. Liza. Right, something like that. Like, yeah. yeah, she'll she'll come back. Girlfriend on Mars, Liza, but we find out that Liza actually is is married now and uh, is having a child. So that's that's it for Garibaldi. There, we do know that Garibaldi's a bit of a womanizer. He uh, says some things that are kind of inappropriate. I don't I don't think he's a womanizer. I just think he's a creep. He's a creep. Okay, he's a creep. He got shot at the end of the season finale, so we'll see if he survives the season two. Weirdly, um, he's inspired great personal loyalty from both, maybe not great, but he's described, he's inspired a lot of affection from both Jakar and Malari. They both seem, you know, they both seem to think of him as a friend, and they both seem to be pretty upset with uh, the fact that he's near death at the end of season one. I don't think there's much of anything else we can add to that. Is there anything else you can add to Garibaldi? Uh, He cultivates a lot of snitches. Yeah, he has a lot of like underground connections that he from down below. Delin is Mimbari and she is inside a cocoon, a chrysalis thing right now. She's gonna change and transform. She thinks that Sinclair is like the one or he's gonna mm-hmm. have some huge role later on down the road. Mm-hmm. We don't know what this change is going to be, this transformation. The Mimbari are gonna play a huge role as the seasons progress. They seem like they're in more control of something that than what they let on. If that makes sense, like there's more to them. Yeah, I mean, they definitely, I think, know more about what's going on than any of the other uh, major powers except the Vorlon. So that kind of 
and they kind of have the kind of similar role to like the Vulcans in Star Trek or like to elves in J.R.R. Tolkien, right? As far as like Delenn denouncing being the leader of the Grey Council, it's probably a big deal for her culture. So I don't know how that's going to play out. She wants to stay on Babylon 5. And then she, there's some like, uh, well, the thing about this, the season finale was that there's something between her and Kosh that I, I just don't know what's happening there. And that was a huge question. I had a huge question mark over it, like towards the end of that season mm-hmm. uh, that I'm interested in hoping they, that we pursue later. All right, then Malari. Malari, uh, he's Centauri. He's got like a ton of wives. Uh, his connection with Morden, I think, is going to be huge. That's That's been a big piece of the season and what we'll see coming up. He's got six dicks. What else? <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's pretty much our guy. He's a he's a bit of a drunk, a bit of a gambler. Yeah, um, he's he's generally he's pretty disgusted by the direction that the Centauri Republic has gone. Right, he like wants a return to glory, kind of return to revanchist imperial policy. But on the other hand, he also has a bit of a conscience. Right, um, he seems pretty horrified by what um, he incites Morden to do to the Narn. So yeah, he's a he's a kind of interesting, uh, complicated character. I mean, there's kind of a bit of uh, Jr. has already noted this, but there's a bit of a Falstaffian quality to both um, to both Malari and Jakar that I appreciate. Okay, now Jakar is a Norn. His homeworld was enslaved by the Centauri, so he's got a real big beef with them. Jakar, he loves human women. One of his goals, I think, is to get like telepath DNA so that he can like create more telepaths for their home world yeah although that's pretty much a i would say like a a narn goal in general like we saw we saw natoff following up on that too with the young telepath from down below and right. I guess that was in legacies yeah honestly jacor was kind of absent for like half the season so when he was there he was really fun to follow along and i just, I just like his attitude and how he uh presents himself as far as when he's goes when he goes head to head with Malari, it's hilarious like they're back well, they and kinda forth al- they kind of alternate between having him be the more aggressive and the more like vengeful one because of you know the how the narn were uh, oppressed by the centauri but then on the other hand he has like these kind of like small moments of kindness right like he saves catherine uh from the sigma 957 walker he uh, is has this kind of moment of emotional connection with uh, Sinclair before uh, before the attack happens. So there's a lot of, you know, even though he's he's generally more the aggressive, the aggressor in the pair between him and Londo. In some ways, there's a bit more depth to him. And at at first, they were kind of playing him as a kind of cartoony villain, but they they sort of decided to go in a bit of a different direction with him. Yeah, and you can definitely see that difference between the. TV movie and the actual pilot for the series. All right, Kosh. Kosh is just mysterious, has an encounter suit. Don't really know much about him other than he's pretty powerful. He doesn't speak much, but when he does speak, it's kind of cool to listen to. Yes. Uh, uh, something's hiding up under that suit. He has revealed it to Delin, apparently. No one else knows. Uh, oh, yeah. well, I take that back. Or the three characters from a TV movie actually saw the ones that don't return. That that's Kosh. I mean, Kosh is just still mysterious. We don't know much more about him other than he's pretty powerful. So to transition from there, do you want to just talk about all three diplomatic aides together? Lanier, uh, he builds motorcycles. Kato, I didn't even know who that was until you said it was Veer, and I was like, oh, okay, Veer. He doesn't show up much. He's been in like two or three episodes, 
Natoth's my favorite out of all three. Mm-hmm. I think that she's a she's she adds to the plot. I think Natoth could have just. I think Natoth was almost a stand-in for Jakar when Jakar wasn't on the station. Yeah, it, it certainly seems like in some of these later episodes they had her do what they would have had Jakar do because probably the actor was unavailable or something. Then we've got Winners, Tag Winners. She's our telepath. I don't know. I don't don't know much about her at all. Even though watching everything, I don't know much. I actually was surprised how little she was in this season. I thought it was more. Um, I feel like she. You will know a lot more about her in season two, though. Yeah, I know she and uh, Ivanova have a thing like where they're they bicker and go back and forth with each other, but I, I that's all I got. I don't. And then really she also see. has uh, this vexed relationship where Garibaldi is stalking her. Yeah. And then she we we saw that Kosh was sort of manipulating her, taunting her for reasons that are pretty unclear. Yeah, there was that one episode. Yes. Yeah. Other than that, there's not much more to her as far as this season goes. Um, yeah. Although we do find out some about her past connections with Psychor through like Jason Ironheart and Mind War. All right. The final character that I want to talk about is the one that I really know the least about is Dr. Franklin. I, I don't even, I forget he's on the station. I feel like they just thought they had to have a doctor on the station. So they stuck somebody there. They'll, they'll use him a lot more in later seasons. Um, although he is a character, they always sort of struggle to figure out, like they'll go, they'll go a few different avenues with him. And some of them are arguably not that good. I, I actually like, I, I, I'm pretty fond of the character, but yeah, he's of the major characters. He's definitely the one where they struggled the most to like give him stuff to do. And they did the same thing with Julian Bashir in deep space nine. Like I, maybe it's just, there's just not a lot for them to do. Yeah. But I think comparatively stations. there's been a lot more development for Bashir, at least in his personality. Uh, in the first two seasons of DS9 than there was for Franklin in the first season. And then I did want to throw out one thing, which you may not really remember anything, but since she will come back at some point, um, is there anything you remember about Lyda uh, Alexander, the, the telepath from the TV movie that you want to raise? No, <laughs> I really don't remember anything about her other than Jakar propositioned her for a... Yeah, she's she's really cool when she comes back. She, I'm, I'm actually really fond of her character. All right, so those are the characters. And then we also had Morden in the shadows, if you wanted to speculate about them. Yeah, I don't know anything about Morden, other than he's, I guess he's human, and he's got some connection to the shadows. He's like their their person, their their ambassador. Yeah. I want five. (laughs) I don't know. He's the shadow ambassador. (laughs) Yeah, and then the shadows are just, that's what they are. They're just, they're in the shadows. They're, they're. They start shit. I don't. I don't know what else to tell you. Like, there's something not good about them. I know that much. They're not the good guys. I don't think. I think they're the bad guys. All right. So, of all of the characters we've uh, been over, who would you say is your favorite? My favorite is probably going to be uh, Malari. Yeah, I think I would. I I would say Malari or Jakar, but. I didn't think about this so much um, when Jr. and I recorded the sort of debrief on season one, but now that you've now that you've mentioned it, like Jakar is in the back half of season one so little that it, I, I guess you kind of have to give it to Londo. But yeah, it, it for me it would always pretty much be between Malari and Jakar, who I, yeah I think those are the, by far the two most interesting characters on the show. Yeah, I think you could have done a whole show just about Malari and gotten away with it. And then your least favorite? Uh, well. Dr. Franklin, 
But then if I had to, but it's mainly just because I don't know anything about him. So and then, of the ones you do know, yeah, who's the least? Yeah, as far as like uh, the ones that I you know have watched enough of, and I'm just kind of like I don't really care for them. I'd say winners, but like I like I mean we've seen enough of her to kind of get an idea, but I don't know. That's, that's a hard question because I, I it's they're all decent characters. The ambassadors, uh, the assistants to the ambassadors, I don't really care for that much other than the top. Like I don't really care much for Lanier or Kato. I enjoy. No, I, I take that back. I don't care for Kato Veer. He's if I had well, to I say in a one. weird way, like both Lanier and Kato are kind of positioned as that kind of the students to their respective ambassadors, and so you might not enjoy them for like to you know to call back to our last episode, kind of for the same reason you don't really enjoy like a Jake and Nog plotline in that it's like they're kind of set up as like, oh, these young characters who need to mm-hmm. learn and grow from their older ambassadors. Yeah, so if I had to say my least favorite character is Dr. Franklin, Winters, and Veer. Yeah, for me, uh, I, there's not a whole lot to go with off of uh, Winners here, but I, I'm pretty fond of Winners. Um, and yeah, I, I like Dr. Franklin just fine. Um, I, I would say that like Garibaldi and Sinclair are interesting characters, but especially Garibaldi, they can get pretty tropey and annoying. Like both of them can, but especially Garibaldi. So I, I'm not a big Garibaldi fan. Um, but that said, I, I would definitely say Veer is my least favorite. I really don't like Veer. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Honestly, I don't remember him in any scenes like that were important. He's mostly just there to be the straight man for Londo at this point. Yeah. All right, so let's see. We've get, covered the favorite and the least favorite characters. I did want to kind of ask, of the of the major powers we've been introduced to, who do you think is the most interesting or your favorites thus far? Uh, my, mine with the Mimbar. Um, they're... I, I, I've enjoyed learning about their, like, their systems and how they have a warrior cast and a religious cast and everything that goes along with that uh i think they're the the mysticism aspect to their culture is cool that's enjoyable i find that kind of neat the way she was having to you know build something with the with the triangulation thing or whatever the what is it called oh i don't know who cares you know i'm talking about that triangle thing (laughs) i know what you're talking about i just had to build all that stuff that she's building and then everything that happened with the uh the battle of the line and I, I just I just find that all interesting. I think that's what that's why it's probably my favorite to to learn about. But what about you? Uh, definitely the Centauri. I really like the Centauri. Um, they're fun. They're interesting. So the, granted, the spotlight episodes on them haven't necessarily been the best episodes of the season, but I enjoy the Centauri. I'd say for my least favorite, when I was originally watching the show, I was fascinated by the mysteries of both the Vorlon and the Minbari. Now that I'm much more familiar with the Minbari and I've gotten through season four and season five of the show, uh, the Minbari are by far my least favorite. I really don't like the Minbari anymore. <laughs> well, my least favorite for season one are the Norn. Uh, I guess because I just don't know enough about them, but at the same mm-hmm. time, like, I I like Jakar, but I don't really care for like the Norn. Does that make sense? I guess kind of like yeah, how a lot of people like yeah. Worf, but they don't care for the Klingons. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm exactly the opposite. I like the Klingons, but I hate oh. <laughs> but no, I, I can see what you're saying. There's there's ways in which the Narn aren't very well written as as like a, as a species or a civilization. They're, they're, they they kind of 
I don't know, in some ways they kind of exist to be the number two, but yeah, but even though that's true, like, uh, Natath and Jakar are both very fun characters. Mm -hmm. I did want to ask, um, since this has come up a few times on the podcast, uh, what Twin Peaks connections were you seeing between Babylon 5 and Twin Peaks in season one? Just the, the weird dreams some of the people have, and then those, like, the flashbacks to stuff, and then how they start screwing around with time, especially in Babylon Squared. Yeah, Babylon um, Squared has big vibes with Twin Peaks to mm -hmm. Return, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Especially the end, yeah. And then, so, yeah, we, we, we've we had Ivanova's dreams of her mother, like you say. Yeah, yeah, and then Sinclair's flashbacks. And when Talia Winters enters, like, the mind of that serial killer guy. Oh, and yeah, all yeah. All that I stuff that goes that. along with it. There, there's there's just a lot of things that kind of harken back to yeah, that show. He, he kind of had Bob energy to him, didn't he? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, I, I was just going to say I'm just happy how often I've been able to reference the the meme from the end of Twin Peaks, The Return, that once we cross, it could all be different. I really love that meme, and it, uh, it comes up a lot uh, in Babylon 5 Season 1. All right, you want to make any predictions about Season 2, Matt? I mean, here's my prediction. All right. Oh, God. Here's what I'm going to do. This is going to be short. There's some big questions that need to be answered, okay? And this That's is not what a prediction. So these, I know these are my predictions. There, <laughs> Delin is in a cocoon or whatever. She's gonna come out of her cocoon. That's my prediction. Delin's gonna come out of that, and wow, she's gonna wow. be alive. What, what, what a what a bold and daring she's, prediction. She's How, gonna be alive. What a brave podcaster you are, Ivanova. Ivanova is still going to be a traitor, and she's still gonna be trying to cause chaos on the station. Okay, that's scenes. at least a bold prediction, unlike right, the, fact, the prediction that Delenn will emerge from her cocoon. <laughs> Something's going to happen to Sinclair that has to get him off the station, because I know that Sheridan comes in to take control. I don't know what that thing is that's going to happen, but, I mean, Sinclair's had enough people, like, come in and, like, overanalyze and look at everything he's done, like, you know, look through everything with a fine-tooth comb to see if he's made any problems. So, chances are he may just get kicked off the station. I don't know. All right. Garibaldi. Garibaldi will survive. I know that much. He will survive. I do you know that? I've seen the man. I mean, I've seen the man completely bald. Look, so the Italian. The Italians always die first, Matt. It's, unless it's racism, was, but that's how it goes. Unless he's cloned, I don't know, but he will survive. All right. What other questions do we have? Oh, I have no idea what Kosh looks like under that suit, and I probably never will. All right. So there's there's five predictions right there. That's good enough. <laughs> Anything you want to add to that that I that I completely like misfired? I, mean, uh, I I just again want to compliment you for taking the bold stance in your prediction that Delenn will in fact emerge from her cocoon. Yeah, Delenn will definitely come out of her cocoon. I I, I will go ahead and predict that uh, Delenn will be revealed as Mothra from uh, the Godzilla franchise. Okay. And that's, that's a, that's uh, I a... mean, you know, like what what more powerful form could you have to go against the shadows than the kaiju Mothra? <laughs> I, uh, I really look forward to uh, Natath and um, who's another female character that gets kind of forgotten on the show? I don't know. Natath and the first uh, the first uh, Narn aide uh, become the fairies who communicate Mothra's wishes. So Mothra Delenn talks through Natath and the other the other Narn who's resurrected. I know she she died in an airlock accident. That's a great prediction, Bob. <laughs> Sounds fascinating. <laughs> Can't wait for season two. All right. Well, this has been uh, Babylon 5 versus Deep Space Nine, uh, usually the greatest podcast about <laughs> the two great 90s space station shows. Maybe not. Maybe not this week. Maybe next week. Uh, we've been uh, covering season one of Babylon 5. Uh, next season, or uh, rather next episode, we shall cover season two of DS9 in a little bit of a recap. 
look back and then we will keep on trekking into season three of DS9 and season two of Babylon 5. We'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening.